Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. So um, I'd like to move to the reading of our passage for today. So can you please stand for the reading of the word? Today's passage comes from Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be reading verses 22 to 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such things, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we are uh, continuing in our study of Ephesians, and... We've been spending the last couple weeks looking at this putting off of the old life and putting on of the new. So the first three chapters of Ephesians are a lot about the work that the gospel has done, what God has accomplished through Christ, and now we're looking at this new life. And we've sort of talked about that there are these behaviors of the old life that we are supposed to put off, and these behaviors of the new life that we are supposed to put on, these behaviors that are, as Paul said, imitating God, putting God's character on display in the world. Now, we're entering into a section of Ephesians that I would say is, how does this new life play out in the household? And we're going to be looking at a couple of household relationships that are laid out here, with the first one being wives and husbands. Now, uh, I recognize I'm taking on a bit of a controversial passage this morning. (laughs) And in many ways, it's controversial for good reason, in that this is a passage that has been used to justify oppression and abuse of women historically. And I think as a result of it, there has been an understandable questioning about whether what Paul has to say here is actually good. Now, I believe that history to be real, but I also believe that those behaviors were a misuse of this passage, and that what Paul has to say here about marriage is both beautiful and also essential to Christian marriage. So the way I want to approach this this morning is I want to talk about sort of the big picture of what's going on here in Ephesians, giving a little bit of an explanation for how I'm interpreting this passage. Then I want to look at uh, an analogy that I'm hoping maybe casts a little bit of a a different view of how that relationship can take place, and then we'll end on a couple of practical things in the living out of 
wives and husbands. I am going to be talking almost exclusively to married couples this morning, so just kind of putting that to the upfront that that's going to be the focus of this message. So uh, at the end of the section we looked at last week, verse 21, Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he ends the last section talking about that there is a call for Christians within Christian community to submit to one another. And that seems to serve as a transition into the next section in which he is going to talk about a couple relationships where he's also going to talk about submission. Verse 22, wives submit to your husbands. Chapter 6, verse 1, children obey your parents. And then 6, 5, servants obey your masters. Now, he uses this word submission. And what, what does he mean by that? Well, it carries with it certainly a, a, a connotation of respecting or being under an authority. One commentator I looked at, it was sort of ordering under a particular authority. And so in verse 21, he's saying within Christian community, there should be ways in which we are doing that to one another. We are submitting to the authority of each other, the needs of each other within Christian community. And what I think is happening in the rest of these passages, because he doesn't just say submit to one another, is that within these particular relationships within the household, he is going to talk about how that submitting to one another plays out in the midst of asymmetrical roles. Asymmetrical meaning the two sides have different responsibilities and different things that they're called to do. But that in each of those, there is still an equivalence of value before the Lord, right? Paul says elsewhere that because of Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. And it is about that there is a great leveling field that happens under Christ because all of us, male and female, have come under the, the authority of Christ. We all have been saved by Christ. We all were in need of grace. We all have been brought as daughters and sons of Jesus Christ and are all co-heirs together. And so everything that I think that he says here is with that continued understanding about this equivalent value we have under the gospel. And then within these sections, there seems to be first a call to submit to an authority, and then an equivalent call for that authority to submit itself to the needs and the well-being of the other person. So that's sort of the framework with which I understand this section of what Paul is talking about here. But within specifically this text, where he's talking about wives and husbands, he uses a particular image. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body is and is himself his savior. Later on, verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And then 32, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So there's kind of two overlapping images here. One is this idea of a, a body, like a physical body, where he says there is a head, which he says is Christ, and there is the body, which is the church. And we actually use that language to discuss the church a lot, right? We are the body of Christ. And he says in a similar way that husbands and wives, that the, the husband is supposed to be like the head and imitating Christ, and the wife is supposed to be like the church imitating the body. And, and one of the things he emphasizes here, actually, is the, the oneness 
the unity that exists there, that there is a, a closeness that Christ has with his church, like they are one body together in the same way he emphasizes that that is true of marriage. In fact, he looks back at Genesis where it talks about this idea of, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. All right, that is talking about physical intimacy in marriage, but he's using it here to talk about that there is a closeness, a oneness that is supposed to be there. And therefore, marriage has a particular purpose, right? Where the husband is supposed to be sort of like taking on the role of Jesus and the wife is supposed to be taking on the role of the church. This is like, a, it's supposed to be a living parable. This parable in such a way that when people look in at marriages, what they're supposed to see is they're supposed to see something about how Jesus relates to his church and how the church relates to Christ. Like there is a, a proclamation piece to this, right? Where marriages are supposed to tell a particular story. And that is sort of the spiritual purpose that is behind this. I think in all of these relationships we're going to see there is a spiritual purpose behind it. And for marriage, what Paul says is that that spiritual purpose is to tell a story. It's to tell the story of Christ and his church. And what's, I think, beautiful about that is that it actually works both ways. That one, it means that we can look in the scriptures and see the way Jesus relates to the church and the church relates to Christ and learn some things about how wives and husbands are supposed to interact with one another. But then also, as we begin to live in those things, there is a, a gospel proclamation that comes from that where people get to learn about who Jesus is and who the church is from the context of this relationship. And that, to me, is the beautiful part of what Paul is talking about is that there is a purpose to marriage, which is to tell the story. Now, a couple of just broad implications around this. First, that this is specifically speaking into the covenant of marriage. This is not something that is generally men and women. It specifically is talking about the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, but not generally men and women. The second is that this is obviously both under both the wife and the husband, looking to the leadership of Jesus and seeking to emulate his character in their roles. The third thing that I would hope would be obvious, but historically I guess has not been, is that abuse and denigration is contrary to what he is talking about here. And the way I know that is that Jesus does not abuse his church. Jesus does not put down his church. Jesus does not seek to dominate his church. Jesus does not seek to force himself on his church. And so any of those behaviors are contrary to what, Jesus, what Paul is teaching us here about what is supposed to happen in marriage. And in fact, I believe is condemned by this passage because it undermines the telling of that parable. The other thing I would say that I think is an important aspect of this is that this passage is not talking about specific roles in home or at work. Right? This isn't saying who needs to do the dishes 
or even who needs to go to work and who needs to stay home or who needs to raise the kids or who needs to do the laundry. Like, this is not about that. I believe that the scripture gives us a lot of freedom as couples to be able to work those things out in the ways that will best serve the end of us being able to tell the story of Christ and his church well. And I think that that is another way that this passage has been misused is by trying to stick things in there that are not there in the text. Okay. So I told you I was going to try and give you a picture of what this relationship could look like uh, from maybe a little bit of a different perspective. So uh, the way I want to do that, when I was in college, I think I've told you all this before, but I took uh, two semesters of ballroom dance and two semesters of country western dance. Um, I have forgotten almost all of it, but I will say that that experience of doing those classes helped me with gaining a, a, a picture of what was going on here that I felt like was much more healthy, perhaps, than some of the things that I had been taught about what this could look like. And so I want to attempt to, to do a little demonstration for you. And uh, I, have asked, I have asked Ellen to help me with this. Now, I, I'm good, but thanks. Um, so if you want to come up, if you don't mind. Uh, so uh, we haven't practiced this, so she has no idea what's coming. So she's being very brave right now. But um, I, I think that the image of Dan... Yes. Um, but the, I think the thing that I, I love about dance is the way that it sort of pictures a little bit of submission and mutual submission in ways that are really helpful. So in traditional ballroom dance... You have a lead and you have a follow. And the lead has a particular purpose, right? The lead is supposed to facilitate the dance. And, all right, we can, so that's, that's we're doing a little bit of uh, East Coast swing here. But the, 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 the lead is supposed to facilitate the dance. The lead also is supposed to protect their partner. Like one of the roles of the lead is to make sure that you don't fling your partner into the other people that are dancing on the floor. And the, the goal of the lead is, one, the enjoyment of their partner. The goal of the lead is the purpose of the dance, telling the story of the dance. Right? And the purpose of the lead is to make sure that the dance is happening in a way that is enjoyable for both people that are doing it. Now, for the follow there is particular steps that they have to do, and it is not a passive process, right? So um, to, to give you a sense of this, when, you, when, you are, when you're dancing, there is what is called the frame. And the frame is how you communicate the lead. So what that means is that there's a certain amount of interaction that Ellen has to give in order for us to be able to do the dance well. She is just as engaged. We are co-equals in this. And... Let me show you what happens if this doesn't. So right now, we're kind of doing a normal, a normal lead. And there's, there's some resistance. There's feedback there about what's going on, right? All right, now what I'd like to try, we're going to do the same thing, but I'm going to give an extremely aggressive lead. Great. Okay, are you ready? 
All right. All right, I won't do that. And I even dialed it back a little bit because I don't want to hurt her, right? Now, that was ugly. That was an ugly dance, right? That did not accomplish the ends of the dance. Why? Because my leadership is not serving the end of the dance and it's not serving the serving of my partner, right? There's another way that I could potentially lead. Why aren't you dancing? <laughs> right? Where there's no, there's no initiation, the dance doesn't happen. Now, I would also like to do this now. I would like for you to try to resist my lead as okay. much as you can. All right? You ready? <laughs> All right. <laughs> we're, we're kind of sort of getting there, but again, it is not telling the story of the dance. And incidentally, that's exhausting, trying to do that all the time. Now, I'd like for you to just go totally limp, right? Like, again, there's no, there's no way to communicate the lead there. That what I'm trying to get at is that following, and what I think he's talking about in this passage, this idea of submitting, is not somehow this passive doormat kind of experience, that there is something interactive that's happening there, an engagement there, where both husband and wife are trying to tell the story of the dance. One of the things, okay, you can give, let's give her a hand. Well, one of the things I like about at that analogy, again, is, right, it's trying to tell the, a dance, it's trying to tell a particular story, the story of Christ and his church. And in ballroom dance, one of the things, if you ever watch, like, professional ballroom dancing, one of the roles of the lead is to put their partner on display. And that actually is very consistent with what you see Christ do for the church. Right? One of the things it talks about is that Christ gives glory to his church. He builds up his church. He puts the church on display. Kind of the primary picture of that maybe is in Revelation where you see the church as the bride of Christ. Right? We, we sang about that earlier. And yes, ultimately, that brings him glory, but it is always through the building up of the church that he does that. And also, and I am not good enough of a lead to make this happen, <laughs> so I didn't attempt to demonstrate it. But when you get really good leads in a dance, they are able to leave room for their partner to have improvisation, creativity, and expression in the midst of the dance. Right? That is part of the sign of good dance leadership. And in the same way, I think, good leadership, like what he's talking about here with, with as a husband living like Christ, laying down his life for the church, is that you are creating space for that within the relationship and seeking to have that happen. And another thing I love about this is that in dance, like when you're doing it right, it is both beautiful and it is something where you delight in one another. And that is one, or again, a reflection of Christ in his church. Christ delights in his church and the church is to delight in Christ. And in a similar way, I believe husbands and wives are to delight in each other in the midst of this dance. So that for me helped paint maybe a little bit of a different picture of what it looks like when we are submitting to one another within 
the context of marriage. Was Ellen submitting to my leadership? Yeah, she was. But it was in a way that facilitated the dance, facilitated us enjoying one another. And for me, if I was going to be effective in that role, I had to be considerate of her. And that's where I think I have sort of two big, um, two big words for husbands in the room in terms of how do we go about living into this. The first is this. Um, he talks about here, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I believe that there is a clear call here that husbands should be initiators of seeking to lead the family into their relationship with Christ. In terms of just getting into the word, getting into prayer. Now, I don't think that that means that therefore the husband is responsible for all of it. In fact, I think the husbands that do that best are the ones that recognize the spiritual giftings and knowledge and and maturity of their wives and learn how to facilitate that in terms of the growth of the whole family. But nonetheless, I do think here that there is a call to be initiators, right? That as men, we are neither supposed to be the ones that are like pushing everybody around, nor are we to be the ones that are just standing there, right? That there is an initiation, a leadership that is called to. The second thing I would say is that I believe very much in scope here is that husbands should seek to build up their wives in places of calling and giftedness. And again, this is what you see Christ does for his church, right? He builds up the church and and longs to see the church operate fully in, in their giftedness and in their callings. This is what Christ seeks to do for the church. And so too, if husbands are supposed to emulate that, do I think they need to do that for their wives. For me, what that looks like, when I married Ellen, I knew that God had called her to be a doctor. And I have continued to see that in the ways that he, God has led her in the particular areas of medicine she's in. There is no doubt in my mind God has called her to that role and God has gifted her in that role. And what that means is that for me, as her husband, part of my role is to try and facilitate that she is able to pursue her calling and grow in her giftedness. Now, that can look a lot of ways. It can look like inside the home, outside the home, not trying to lay out anything specific about what that looks like, but that's what it has looked like in our marriage for me to press into that idea of helping and seeking to support building her up in her place of calling and giftedness, and that is something I would encourage husbands for you all to do. Um, For the wives in the room, one of the things that uh, Paul says here, verse 33, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And kind of in line with what we've been talking about with Ephesians as a whole, right, that words play a huge role in that, right? We have talked about how that we use our words and that relationally that is very much typically how we build up or how we tear down. And so I would just encourage uh, the wives in the room that one of, I think, the primary ways you can demonstrate respect to your husband is in the ways that you speak to him and also the ways that you speak about him when he's not around. Um, That the words are really important for communicating that respect. And the last thing I would say to just the couples in the room, talk about how you're going to live out this parable. 
I think there's a lot of richness to just be in the place of thinking about, man, what does it look like? How could we shape our marriage in such a way that when people look in, this is the story they see of our life together? And one, I think it will be a beautiful marriage. I think it'll be one in which there is mutual building up and not mutual tearing down, and one that will be also an effective witness to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us a high and holy call for marriage. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to live into this with grace, with humility, and with a seeking after you for how you would have us shape our marriages. Lord, we need your help in this and pray that you would be glorified. All these things I pray in your name. Amen.